You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. We cover topics designed to accelerate your global expansion. You're listening to the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. We cover topics designed to accelerate your global business. Hello, I'm Anka Corbin, the host and founder and CEO of Globig. So today's hot topic is about language training for businesses and how language impacts your ability to do business abroad. And our fantastic guest today is Tyler Muse, the founder and CEO of Lingo Live, an international language training company that specializes in helping global professionals become much more effective in their jobs. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So tell us a little bit about how you started Lingo Live and what was the, you know, kind of the reason behind doing that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I started Lingo Live based on my own personal experience learning Spanish with a woman in Guatemala over Skype. Um, I was basically the, the case study that we solved today. So I needed to learn Spanish for my job. I worked in finance and was working on a deal in Mexico and was working with a bunch of people on conference calls who were all speaking in Spanish and I needed to learn Spanish to be able to communicate with them. So I told my wife, I, you know, I would love to have a, a private tutor who's available after eight o'clock at night and uh, is a native speaker and doesn't cost an arm and a leg. And that was back then, this was 2009 and still is today, a pretty difficult uh, value proposition. Um, so my, my wife found this woman on the internet who taught over Skype again back in 2009. It was kind of a new concept. And uh, she said, the first lesson's free. Give it a shot. And uh, yeah, I mean, seven years later, I guess here we are. It just uh, loved the entire experience. I just felt like it was super convenient, um, really affordable, really fun. Um, but when I actually, after about a year and a half of doing it, uh, three times per week doing lessons with this woman, when I actually became fluent in Spanish, that was when I realized that this could actually be a business. It's not just a hobby. Uh, and so I quit my job and started the company in 2012. What a great founder story. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what are some of the the things that you see business professionals needing? You know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what those urgent needs are. You shared a little bit about your own story, but what are you seeing today that, you know, we see in international, you know, business? Sure. Yeah. So the biggest problem we're solving is really helping employees uh, integrate more fully into the culture of their organization. Um, that, that is, if I can boil it down you know, to one thing, that's really what we're driving at Lingo Live. And so what you're seeing happening today is obviously you know, everyone knows companies are going more global, um, but also there's, there's been this you know, sharp increase in broadband penetration. And so Lingo Live really sits at the middle of, of both of those phenomenons. We have, you know, these companies are becoming more global, but they're also doing more business um, via video conference. And um, there's struggles that happen there. I mean, the problem specifically that we're solving for these uh, multinational companies is that they need their employees to learn to be able to communicate with each other in a more effective way. And that. You know, it's not necessarily saying, hey, you know, I have colleagues in 
um, Brazil that I need to speak fluent Portuguese with so that we can communicate. We all know most companies, you know, communicate in English. If they're a multinational company, more often than not, they've set English as the official language. Um, but what you see is, you know, the culture of the organization can be hampered significantly by, uh, you know, a scenario where somebody is not feeling comfortable uh, communicating in a foreign language. So, uh, in the case of you know Heineken, they they're one of our biggest customers. Heineken has you know employees down in Mexico who um, people in the U.S. work with. People based here in Manhattan work with these folks in Mexico. You know, maybe on a weekly basis, they're communicating with them. And and again, of course, they're communicating in English. But what these employees in Manhattan have decided is, you know, if I can speak their language. I think that it will help to make these people feel more comfortable, make them feel like they're a bigger part of our organization, uh, and just make it a more of a team mentality rather than a kind of, you know, American asking you for things in, in their language, kind of this kind of colonized mentality, um, that, that they just don't want to have within the organization. They want people to to feel integrated into the culture of, of the company. Um, so by these employees learning Spanish, they're able to have, you know, basic conversations with these people in Spanish that more than anything, just show that these people respect that person's language, their culture, they're trying to learn that language while at the same time, the employees in Mexico are trying to improve their English proficiency skills, um, which is most of our business today. And I'm sure some of the questions you'll have that we'll get into later, I'll talk about how we kind of help English language learners. You know, so I'm from Germany originally, and I find even when I have business discussions in either English or German, we sometimes it's easier to bounce back into one of the other languages to really get that cultural point across. Is that, you know, kind of that natural bouncing back and forth? Uh, have you found that too? That just it makes a conversation so much um, more you're just easy to understand and so much richer, if you will. Yeah, if you're you're saying if you're able to kind of incorporate something from their language and their culture into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly anybody who speaks more than one language knows this, that there's, it's very, there's, there's so many things that don't translate on paper. You just cannot explain them on paper, how they translate. Um, but that is why we feel like at Lingo Live, what we prioritize is live customized instruction from a native teacher. Um, we don't, you know, we don't view software as a replacement, as the kind of the main learning medium wherein we have a software tool that teaches you the language because of the nuances that you're talking about that really relate to the culture of that community. We, we use software to facilitate what really works in language acquisition, which is immersion with a live native speaker who can teach you some of those things that are so nuanced and specific to the culture of the organization. Um, an example is for me, you know, being able to, well, I, I go down to Brazil on a relatively frequent basis because we have business in Brazil. And so I need to be able to speak Portuguese um, to, you know, develop our partnerships down there. But also just from a cultural aspect, you know, when I'm working with my Portuguese teacher in my sessions and we're simulating the environment that I feel like I'm going to be in when I get to Brazil, things like, you know, saying, 
in a formal way, hey, how are you doing? Or, you know, that's, that's, I guess, an informal way. In a formal way saying, um, how are you doing? And then having my teacher say, no, you know, that's just too formal. You don't, <laughs> you wouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. It would come off really awkward. You want to say, you know, to the bane, which is, you know, you know, things good basically is how it, how it translates. Everything good. And that was such an important key piece that I wouldn't get from a software solution that couldn't understand the exact scenario that I was going to be placed in and what would be culturally appropriate. I think that's what's so brilliant about what you're doing is really that one, that native speaker and bringing in that cultural element because it really, that's where I think a lot of misunderstandings come about when you just have this formal school book sort of learning versus, you know, this culturally supported learning because that's where all the misunderstandings seem to happen. Sure. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how, like in a business situation, I know you mentioned just now with the, um, the introduction and the, the greeting and that sort of thing, but what about within a negotiation itself? What about within a negotiation itself in terms of uh, the, the, having just that understanding of how language is used? And even though they might say a term that they understand, it may not mean what you think it means. Right, just, right. Or even just kind of social context specific skills. So, you know, in a negotiation, being able to politely interrupt somebody, that is such a huge both, you know, linguistic as well as cultural uh, capability is kind of knowing, first of all, from the from the standpoint of the language, how do you do that? What's the vocabulary? Um, what is the sentence structure? What's the grammar kind of concept behind it? But then also, more importantly, from a cultural standpoint, you know, this is kind of how you negotiate in China. This is how we do it in the U.S. or vice versa. Learning really, this is how to politely interrupt somebody in that language is something that, you know, perfectly embodies what we were just talking about earlier in terms of that nuance of both culture and language. And that's really part of our solution at Lingo Live is that we use a task-based learning methodology for teaching foreign languages. And so what a task-based model does is it really looks at what are the tasks, what are the you know, things that you need to be able to do, the social situations in which you find yourself on a regular basis and are either not able to communicate in that scenario or you're able to get the point across, but it's not highly fluent and you really lack confidence in that scenario. So the teacher will then take that task and say, okay, we're going to, I'm going to diagnose your uh, performance of the task across things like pronunciation, social convention, vocabulary, grammar. Um, the teacher has a rubric to kind of score the student on a task. And then the teacher will come up with learning objectives. So you know, the way, the reason I'm mentioning it is you talked about that negotiation example. Maybe the task is being able to um, negotiate with the coworker priorities for a project that we're working on. Maybe that's the big picture task that the student wants to work on. And a task typically takes about 15 lessons, 10 to 15 lessons to go from, you know, initial assessment to kind of post-task performance where there's significant progress made. But within that task, the teacher will focus on a learning objective, which might be, again, how to politely interrupt somebody in a negotiation. They could have a whole lesson just focused on 
um, how to politely interrupt somebody. And, and, you know, I said in a negotiation, it doesn't even necessarily have to be in a negotiation. The learning objective is how to politely interrupt somebody. Maybe they choose a different social context for, you know, how to negotiate with your wife maybe is something that we're focusing on today. And, and what you'll learn in that lesson is applicable to the bigger picture task that we are building ourselves up to. It's the learning objective that builds ourselves up to completing that task. Um, and so that's really how our system focuses on taking that real world example where the student needs to use the language and then boiling it down into learning objectives that to build the student's confidence and performance up in the task. Mm, I really like the task-based learning. I think it's so much more relevant. How does that work then? Do they also get vocabulary to learn and do they then have it recorded so they can practice it over and over again? Talk a little bit more about, so you've got your task, They there's a, a lesson. What does a lesson structure typically look like? Well, so it's, it's more of a course structure. A, a typical lesson varies so widely depending on the student um, and depending on where they are in the structure of their course. So a task, as I said before, takes about 10 to 15 lessons. So, you know, the typical lesson 15 looks totally different from a typical lesson 9. Um, but also, it doesn't even necessarily need to be at 9 and 15, right? It, it really varies depending on essentially where in the journey the student is. So um, I'll kind of break it down into three major categories of where they can be in a journey. Um, one is the what we would call needs analysis phase. So a typical lesson in a needs analysis phase is really a lot more informal. It's something where you as a teacher are getting to know me at a pretty detailed level. So the point of those lessons, which oftentimes are students say, you know, really build the relationship with the teacher. But the point of that is for the teacher to identify what the task should be that they should work on. So the teacher's asking questions about their job, about their, you know, family, about um, some of the, you know, scenarios in which they have to use the target language. Uh, that's, that's a kind of a typical lesson in a needs analysis phase. The next phase is really, okay, we've now identified a task and we're building up our proficiency and performing that task through a learning objective. So that one can really vary. It could be vocabulary focused, like you said, or it could be focused on, you know, something that's more social convention related, as I mentioned, you know, politely interrupting somebody, um, that really varies. And I think that's an important piece for, for me to communicate here is that, you know, at Lingo Live, we really look to empower our teachers to, um, to be autonomous, to really get to know the student and leverage their own expertise and their own creativity to develop the right learning objective for the student. So, while we have lesson plans and we have a database of learning objectives that relate to kind of common tasks, we want the learning to be as personalized as possible to you. So if there's some task that you're working on that's highly relevant to your job that only your teacher could understand because you and your teacher have a relationship um, that allows the teacher to kind of understand it at that level, then by all means, what the learning objective is that they're working on may be entirely driven by the teacher and not from our system. It's a really important point for us to get across to our teachers, to give them that nice flexibility between structure um, in terms of lesson plans and kind of rubrics for uh, language progress, but also saying, look, you know your student better than anybody. We want to give you the autonomy 
to create the learning journey that's most effective given the task that you're working on. Um, so that's why it's kind of hard to answer the question for the kind of second uh, phase, I guess, which is, you know, working through learning objectives to building up the task. Um, but then the third phase is really the, okay, so now you've completed the learning objectives that you were working on. Maybe it took, you know, 10 lessons, 15 lessons. Now that you've completed the learning objectives, we're going to go back and we're going to perform the task again. So we did it at the beginning. Now I'm going to, you know, again, sticking with the same example that you came up with of being able to negotiate with a coworker, let's say on uh, project priorities. Let's do that scenario again. I will pretend to be your coworker. You will be, you know, you'll be yourself and we're going to go through it again. And I'm going to see how well you applied some of the fundamentals from our learning objective lessons towards this task. And I'm going to assess you again. So that is kind of more standardized across teachers and students is that kind of post-task assessment where they say, okay, this is how you did in pronunciation. This is how I scored you 15 lessons ago when we did the task. This time you got better in pronunciation because I noticed your TH sounds have made a huge improvement from what I had evaluated you at before. Uh, this is your grammar progress on the, you know, the past tense, particularly you were struggling in this. You know, the, so that's really how we show progress to our, um, to our customers is to say, look at this highly relevant task that this person needs to perform for their job. Here's where they started. Here's where they ended up. And then here's where the, what the teacher and the students say about it, um, you know, and, and how it's helped them in their day-to-day -day job. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. I can see this being so valuable for managers and, you know, if you're trying to, like you said, integrate into a company or even just doing business uh, abroad. So when someone takes um, a course, how much time would they typically allocate in a week? Like how much, uh, you had mentioned the flexibility of having it available at different times in the day, but, but tell me a little bit about when someone gets involved, how much time do you think that they would typically commit to learning? Sure. So anything less than twice a week really is not going to yield substantial results. So the average LingoLive student is taking somewhere between two and three times per week lessons. And that's hours basically per week. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's where, you know, for us, that's one of our most important key performance indicators for how good of a job we're doing is, you know, if students are actively engaging in the learning. That makes sense. So they just need to make sure that they have that time available. And then it is flexible as far as what times in the day and even evenings or weekends. So 24-7, literally. I mean, we have students in uh, 72 countries all over the world and teachers in even more countries who are coordinating via our platform for regular weekly lessons. Um, and so this is part of where our technology comes in is we're, our goal is to be the best in the world at one thing, which is to connect you anytime and anywhere that's convenient for you with a live teacher that knows exactly what you need to make progress in your job. How do you select um, those teachers and how do you find them? What are some of the criteria that you look for? Sure. Um, well, the first thing we look for more, you know, more importantly than anything is is this someone that lights up a screen? Is this somebody that you are going to want to spend three hours a week uh, with? 
these are highly personal relationships that are being developed here. And so as important as the qualifications are for the teacher, which I'll get into next, we really stress, you know, that positive energy, the, you know, the, the very empathetic nature of teachers. These are things that we test for to, to make sure, do they have the personality to really care deeply about their students and get them to make commitments and get and be engaging enough for the student where they're going to keep those commitments. Um, so that's the first thing, which is very hard to solve for, but it's helped by the fact that over 90% of our teachers come through referrals from existing teachers. Um, but on the qualification side, what we look for is a few things. One is obviously you've got, you've got to have experience as a teacher. Um, so we look for uh, ideally three years or more of English language instruction experience. You know, most of our teachers are English teachers. So uh, three years or more of English as a second language, not training or anything, leading classroom style learning um, or teaching in a private setting English to non-native English speakers. Uh, the second qualification beyond experience that we look for is we look for some type of secondary degree. Um, so we look for you know, if they have a, an undergraduate degree in um, education or in linguistics or English, um, we're looking for some type of, you know, beyond just a certification that they have TESOL training, let's say, we're looking for some type of higher level educational degree. Um, and then the third piece that we look for, and this is part of what we provide, is that our teachers really have to learn task-based learning. So every teacher goes through a 100-hour course on task-based learning that really teaches them how to apply the TBL model to the Lingo Live classroom. Hmm, very interesting. Um, what about if, they, if someone has a very specific industry and being able to converse in kind of the language of an industry, do you also sometimes go and seek specialists or do you find that most of the time the teachers that you have can you know familiarize themselves enough with the specifics of an industry yeah so sometimes we it's a really good question sometimes we will um, have subject matter experts come in and either you know create lesson plans for the teachers that customize it further to the industry that the employee works in or um, will actually host like webinars or be a part of like group lessons on very custom topics to the industry. But more often than not, it's it's the latter. You'd be surprised, you know, how well these teachers. You know, most of our teachers also have a business background. It's not necessarily a requirement. They have worked in a formal business setting of some kind, um, so they have a pretty good grasp of what the student needs. You know, a lot of our students, you take engineers, let's say. So at Twitter, we work with some engineers. And, you know, these engineers would never have gotten a job at Twitter if they didn't have a really good grasp of the terminology and vocabulary to their field. So this is not the problem that we're solving. Is like, how do we make it, you know, how do we teach you the terminology relevant to your field? What they're struggling with is more of the fundamental English communication skills that relate to um, more often than not, what anybody who's a non-native English speaker might struggle with in a corporate environment, things like what we talked about before, being able to politely interrupt somebody, being able to make your point without being too strong, um, being able to negotiate with tact, um, you know, 
These are all the kind of communicative skills that make up our framework that can be applied to a number of different industries. And then we use that in conjunction with lesson plans that are created for those skills and for a particular industry to really drive that level of personalization. Excellent. So you were mentioning that you do most often an, a foreign national coming into the United States or someone that's trying to really integrate into it, English speaking. But what about U.S. going out? What are um, some of the languages that you have available and, and teachers in, in different countries as well? Sure. So we, beyond English, we teach Spanish, Portuguese, French, Mandarin, and Italian. And those are really just based on primarily what businesses, I imagine, are looking for? Yes. Of course, there's more. I mean, we get a lot of requests for Japanese. We get requests for Dutch, Swedish, um, you know, ton, tons of languages. There's, there's uh, almost a never-ending uh, uh, waterfall of language requests that we get. But the way that we've prioritized the languages that we've chosen are, um, you know, quite, quite honestly, we will say to a customer, look, you know, this doesn't make sense for us because of what's required for us in terms of the teacher training process, in terms of the curriculum development process. We will only roll out a new language from kind of incubation stages, um, which we have a lot of languages kind of in that stage, but we'll only really fully develop a language and push it live for production if we have enough demand to support that. So um, with you know, with some of our customers, Mandarin was because a specific customer requested it. And we said, well, we don't really, you know, it's on a roadmap, but we're not really prioritizing it. And then they said, well, look, I have enough students here. They put enough demand behind it to justify us really investing the time and effort to get it up to quality standards. So hmm, that's excellent. So share some fun stories. Tell me a little bit about some companies that have had some really significant breakthroughs using LingoLive and some things both on the business-to-business -business side and, and growing their business as well as even within some of their you know, team efforts. Sure. Um, so I'll give you a few case studies. Uh, so I mentioned Twitter uh, just now. So we found that with Twitter, you know, we surveyed these students at, who work at Twitter and, and we're working with employees in Japan and, in um, you know, all over Asia, actually, and then in South America and in the U.S. Um, and we found that these students are learning English with us. We asked them kind of how much time are you spending doing X, Y, Z? And we really, before they started the program, we really established as a baseline you know, a number of things, one of which was, you know, the amount of time that they're spending on, on writing emails, on listening to phone calls, on re-listening to recorded phone calls. Um, and then they went through a course and, we sh and then we asked them the same questions again to really figure out, you know, did we have any impact on productivity within the organization? And what we found is that, um, you know, when we started was that these companies, that employees at this company were, were often relying on their coworkers to help them translate things as well. And so we found that we're saving a company like Twitter as a result of, you know, doing the pre and post course assessments that we're saving them hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost productivity. These employees now spend significantly less time performing those tasks that the teachers help them to work through. Um, and then they're, you know, they're less tangible in that specific example. They're less tangible 
uh, impacts that we've had just in terms of you know the general confidence that these employees have. Um, a lot of our company, a lot of our employees who we survey, in fact, over ninety-five percent of the employees that we survey say that they feel that they cannot get a promotion within their company without becoming proficient in this language. So that's, I think that's crazy for a lot of our customers to learn that about them is that, you know, as much as this may be a problem for us as a business and it may drive productivity, is the real problem is kind of talent retention and knowing that we're providing a tool that, that transforms your career rather than being a stepping stone for you until you're able to get to a place where you don't have that glass ceiling above you. We, we want to support you breaking through that glass ceiling and actually accomplishing your goal of becoming proficient in this language. Um, so that's a couple examples with that company in particular. Another big piece when you talk about the return on investment that they've seen by, by deploying Lingo Live. Um, so we have this case study on our website is Eventbrite. I don't know. Do you get a chance to see the case study we have on Eventbrite? I did, but I think our listeners would love to learn about that. Yeah, so Eventbrite acquired this company called Aventios. Eventbrite's a ticketing company based in San Francisco, hugely successful tech company. And they acquired this other company called Aventios, which was an Argentine, uh, very similar company. And so what happened was they went from not having kind of language needs or an international presence at all to now they have, you know, 40 or so team members based in Mendoza, Argentina, where some incredible wine is is, is <laughs> made. Um, but these guys were based in Mendoza and were obviously doing a tech company. And they now all of a sudden Eventbrite has this big problem, which is we need to be able to ensure that everyone in Argentina and in the U.S. are not just speaking the same language, you know, on paper, but that we really have alignment as a culture. And so what Eventbrite started doing was saying, okay, I'm going to, rather than just focus on these guys learning English, which we definitely need them to improve for productivity reasons, we want to show them that we're becoming a part of their culture by learning Spanish. Um, and so the head, the VP of engineering at Eventbrite, the way he put it was, if I am able to, at the very least, by showing them that I'm seriously investing in, in learning their language, if I'm able to just, after three months of learning Spanish, attract one more engineer to come work for our team down in, in Argentina, that is a no-brainer investment for me because it all comes down to having the best talent that it really feels valued within the organization. Uh, and so by learning their language, while, while there may not be a, an external facing need, I don't for revenue purposes need to learn Spanish, um, for the purposes of really attracting the best talent to our team in Argentina, it's helpful to show that this is a company that really respects your language, your culture, and the way that you think. Um, so that's kind of the second category. The first I mentioned was productivity. The second is, is, is culture uh, and kind of talent acquisition and talent retention. And then the third is, is revenue, obviously. Um, you know, and I'll use my own example for revenue. So I mentioned I go down to Brazil. Uh, I am, I'm in Brazil to, to secure partnerships and to find customers in Brazil who have a need to train their people in English. Um, so I have been using Lingo Live for the last two years to learn Portuguese. 
And only because I was able to, um, first of all, you know, immerse myself in live instruction with a native at a time that was, you know, convenient to my schedule, but also through this kind of task-based learning uh, method, I was able to simulate the exact conversations that I'd be having in Sao Paulo with prospective clients who would ask me kind of the same questions that you're asking me here today, but obviously in Portuguese. And so as a, as a result of kind of learning on a platform, I was able to become, you know, proficient enough in Portuguese to where people in those contexts think that I'm fluent in the language. But if we were all of a sudden to be maybe at their house and they wanted to talk about my personal life, I wouldn't be as fluent because those aren't, those, those aren't the tasks that I've been working on. I've really been preparing myself for the environment in which I, I need to learn the language. Um, but as a result of doing that preparation, I was able to, you know, we were able to secure a couple of really big partnerships and also to get some customers down in Brazil that I know that had I not learned the language that way, I absolutely would not have even gotten a second meeting. Oh, I think it's so undervalued how important just showing that level of respect is when you negotiate or when you want to communicate with someone from another culture, even just understanding the basics and, and trying is already so appreciated for, for so many people. I completely understand that. You know, one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to kind of go back to was the email communication. So a part of what you're doing is also helping them to communicate, not just verbally, but written. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So that may be the task that the teacher and student decide to work on is, is the student says, you know, where I'm really struggling is I'm spending 10 minutes on average reading emails that are, you know, a paragraph, two paragraphs long. Mm -hmm. And they just have a hard time both understanding what's being communicated to them and then, of course, communicating back, which, again, leads to all sorts of challenges in a company. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, the teacher, I'm sure this is kind of why you're asking, is how do they teach written skills is the teacher will actually say, OK, well, let's let's um, do a mix of kind of personalized content. So let's, you know, to the extent that you're able to share with me any of these emails, let's go through it and I'll help to not just, you know, obviously translating it is not going to help the student. I will help you understand why things are worded this way. What are the idioms that they're using and the slang that they're using here that's throwing you off? Let's see it in other contexts. So let's work on that exact uh, idiom that they're using. Let's look at examples in other scenarios where that's used so that you have a firm understanding of it. And the next time you see it in an email, you can get really comfortable with it. These are the things where, um, you know, that teacher is really uh, equipped by focusing on this task-based approach, really equipped to figure out how do we get this student um, more comfortable and confident in, in, in a written communication. Mm, that's good. I didn't actually realize that. That's very, very valuable. Excellent. Is there anything I didn't ask that, that you would like to share? Are there things that you would want our listeners to really know about why this is so important and especially for a company that's having any sort of international um, you know, business reasons? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it, for anybody that is that is considering making an investment in language training, if I could provide, you know, for their employees, if I could, I think a lot of what we've touched on has been around why you should make that investment in language training. Um, you know, what type of return on investment would you see? We talked about productivity. We talked about uh, revenue impact. Uh, talked about 
you know, cultural impact in terms of talent retention and talent acquisition. I'm sure most people, if they're considering making an investment in language training, already have a good understanding for why they should. So what I could, you know, touch on here is just advice, you know, from my standpoint of looking at what's really been successful. What are some of the best customer relationships that we've had and had really successful programs? Um, it is a two-way street. I would say, you know, if you're looking at putting a language training program in place, and we have a great piece that goes through, you know, top seven considerations when you're looking at language training providers. Um, but to highlight a couple, I think one is to really get the managers of these employees involved and bought into the investment. Um, because if you don't have the kind of direct managers of these employees bought into it, then you know, at best, you're going to have an entirely learner-driven uh, experience for these employees because you're going to be too busy if you're a learning and development person, let's say, or a head of sales or whatever. You're going to be too busy to really hold that person accountable. Um, so it's really going to be just up to the learner. And if you have the manager bought in, it just leads to a much better learning experience because the manager can actually help the student make more progress in the language. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, so one of one of the companies we work with, Google, has employees, you know, where we have their managers tied into the conversations as well. And by our customer success team being able to check in with the managers and update the manager on a task that they're working on, the manager can actually facilitate the, the student performing that task in the real world, which is such a big piece. I mean, that is really... The only homework that we give our student is a concept that we call action steps. And so managers can be huge in, in what we think of as these action steps, which is, okay, you've performed this task. Let's say it's being able to make a presentation to a room full of people. Um, you know, In this case, it was an engineer, a room full of engineers about what you're working on at Google. Because the manager knew that this was the, what the student was learning, the manager said, okay, I'm going to actually do that. I'm going to make the student, uh, not make them, but I'm going to offer to the student now in our next big all-hands meeting to actually present what they're working on. And that's really where you see the biggest gain, obviously. It's where the, where the impact of the training is much more tangible, but also where the student's going to make more progress. I mean, doing it in the classroom is one thing, but actually simulating it in the real world and then coming back and reporting on that to your teacher is, is really what's going to lead to the biggest amount of progress. So I would, I would just urge anybody that's, you know, looking at the benefits of language training to the organization to don't go at it alone, really get, if you have people in mind within the organization that you think could really use this is to get their direct managers involved, get their thoughts on what they think, you know, how they would measure success for something like this and what they think the impact would be. And if that person's willing to work with their, your vendor, you're just going to have a much better overall experience. Mm, good advice. So who is your perfect customer? So who, what kind of companies are you primarily set up to, or do you also work with maybe an executive that knows it's good for their career and they would like to participate as well? Um, yeah, so you can, as an individual, come to our site and sign up. Uh, that's, that's 
certainly possible. It's not the biggest part of our business. Um, we have a lot of individuals that come sign up for a plan. It's really lightweight and, and easy for them to get going and they can track their progress and everything. But I think our ideal customer is really anybody. I mentioned English is the biggest part of our business. So our I, ideal customer is somebody who has employees who are maybe proficient in English, they're accurate in English, but where they're really struggling is um, to go from kind of accuracy to fluency. So these are employees who can only get so far in the organization unless they're able to improve kind of the, the speed with which they communicate, the confidence with which they communicate, some of the cultural norm training that they kind of need to have. That is really our ideal customer where you have people at the kind of mid to senior level manager trying to take the leap in their career, but communication and cultural skills are really what's holding them back. Thank you, Tyler, for joining us today on the Go Global, Go Big podcast, powered by Globig. Join us next time for another fantastic podcast on international expansion. This is Anka Corbin, hoping that you all go global and go big.